Welcome, everyone, to an IB Sports podcast, Last Dance Documentary Recap Edition. I'm your host, Keith Fleming. With me, as always, is my co-host from the backdoor cover, always giving them winning picks, except lately there's nothing <laughs> to get picks on. Alan, a.k.a. Actively Lazy, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm, I'm here. Uh, before we start this, I just want to real quick remind everyone that IB Sports podcast feed is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe to be notified when any new podcasts show up. We would also appreciate if you would rate and review this network. Finally, you can follow IB Sports on Twitter and Instagram or join the Facebook group that recently hit 4,000 members. The Facebook group has a premium membership that allows you to post without it being approved by an admin. You can be commissioner for a day, receive free gambling picks from Allen, and much, much more. So on Sunday night, the last dance documentary about Michael Jordan, the Chicago Bulls, the, the final championship, and the second three-peat concluded. And what was just your biggest takeaway about this documentary as a whole? Uh, the biggest takeaway um, from this documentary as a whole <clears throat> to me was that um, ultimately the Pistons don't get their respect for their place in history. Um, the Pistons beat Larry Bird. They beat Magic Johnson. They beat Michael Jordan. They were almost uh, on the verge of being considered a dynasty if Jordan didn't interrupt it. But I think, I think, um, and and this is coming from somebody who doesn't like the Pistons, but I think ultimately they should get more credit. I mean, that's that's a tough sled, man, to to have to beat three legends and and, and arguably. Um, Magic, Magic was still in his prime years when he when he lost to them, and Jordan was obviously coming into his own, but good enough at the time to be considered um, on the the very early part of his prime years. I mean, he was the one year that they beat him. I think he was defensive uh, player of the year, and, and oh, he was uh, already the best player in yeah, the league. Yeah, for sure. so like yeah, he was already he was already where you know he was already there. So. um I think I think they should get more credit ultimately. I, I can't believe we started talking about the Pistons on this, but I, I agree with you completely. Not to mention Larry Bird was not yet yeah, he was starting to decline, but it was really around ninety, ninety one, uh, you know, after the Bulls started winning titles that Bird kinda really started to slow down and ninety two was kind of a nightmare because his back just gave up on him. You know, my biggest takeaway one was just how much Everybody needed this, so I really want to thank, you know, ESPN, Netflix, the, the guy that actually did the documentary. I heard that they didn't finish episode 10 until, like, literally this last week uh, because I think we just needed something live to talk about. I think, okay. though, because of that and the big following that it got and the fact that it's wild to think that a sports documentary was kind of the biggest thing over the last five weeks – but I really think it's going to help solidify Jordan's kind of argument. Or actually, let's not even put it that way, argument. It just it taught a younger generation who did not see Jordan why he's so admired, revered. I mean, he's the ultimate alpha male to anybody that grew up in the 90s or the 80s and just or, or even beforehand. It just got to see Jordan at his apex live. It just, I mean, you don't see stuff that you saw in the documentary 
even today with, you know, people just lining the streets just to see this guy coming, you know, into his team's hotel or coming into practice or going to the games. I mean, he was the biggest celebrity athlete in the world. And there's, you know, the reason he is, you know, Michael Jordan. But uh, what is the, you know, there was not a ton of new information in this, but there was some. Was did you have a favorite bit of new information learned through this documentary? I just everything about Dennis Rodman, man. (laughs) (laughs) NWO for life. I mean, I remember (laughs) all of that. It's just you know, obviously didn't know all the story behind it. But Dennis just a wild dude, man. Like, like um, it just goes to show you that if you're if you're good or talented enough, man, people will make exceptions for you. Damn right. Uh. I really thought the Steve Kerr stuff was was cool. I, I did not know about his dad, who obviously tragically passed away. Something that you know he kind of shared with Michael. I, I had no idea about that. Uh, I loved how he, you know, basically said that Jordan played a huge, uh, you know, a huge role in his success as a player, as a mm-hmm. person on TV before he was then eventually a coach, and also being a coach, especially when KD came. I've heard him talk about that on podcasts that you know, kind of managing different egos. He's like, I had worked with the, you know, the alpha male of all alpha males. So I knew. And then lastly was just his fifth ring celebration speech where he straight up got up in front of 80,000 people and said, you know, well, I guess I'm going to have to bail Michael out again. And I did. I mean, just that was fantastic. And you see why so many people are so high on Steve Kerr because I've heard him on some podcasts and interviews, and sometimes I'm like, this guy's kind of boring. Uh, and I just – I thought that was great. He's just a really intelligent guy. Oh, yeah, and, and he And, he, and even his um, attempts at humor are, are funny because, <laughs> like, he's not naturally, like, a, a goofy guy. And, you know, you look at his backstory, and it kind of makes sense. Like, he's always had to work right. hard for, for what he's gotten as a professional athlete. Like, I mean, his parents are obviously two really intelligent people. They're uh, professors and yeah. things like that. So he, he grew up, he grew up, um, like he said, you know, education, everything, education. So um, it probably did zap some of his uh, sense of humor out of him. But um, I remember the speech. I remember somebody showing um, showing that before. And I also remember him talking about how he used his experiences with Jordan Um with uh kd but uh, i mean kd is just a different different guy man it's different it's a different uh mentality i think the one thing that people don't often talk about that was highlighted and 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 not highlighted enough is that ultimately jordan bought uh bought into the triangle Mm -hmm. system it didn't start out that way you know he, he didn't he didn't trust his teammates and things like that but lost in the translation of the entire series is how over the years he developed to trust his teammates. He even openly admitted (laughs) and Kurt did too, like that there was a point in the season where Jordan was recognizing that other guys were playing above their, their pay grade and he wanted to get them more involved. He even told Scott, he punked Scott Burrell 24 seven. And there's a clip in there where he's telling Scott Burrell, like, Hey, we're going to need you this series. So I need you to pick it up, you know, like, so there's elements there, but you know, it, it's just people going to pick and choose what they want to put in there. Just like Jordan probably pick and chose what he wanted to be in the series too. And, and at the end of the day, I think 
people are going to appreciate it, but the, it'll also be controversial. It's not going to give anybody any peace. And just to point out, yes, Jordan had, I mean, like, full disclosure, it's easily known. He had to sign off on everything. So a lot of people are saying, well, this is not a true documentary. I don't really know what else you would want them to touch. They discussed the gambling. They discussed his dad's death. They discussed, you know, the the kind of the, I guess, what would you call it, the um, stigma of him being a, you know, a bad teammate or a selfish teammate. I mean, I I don't really know what they would have left out that they want them to discuss. That, that was actually what I was most impressed with is for a documentary that was controlled by the person that it was about. You know, they touched on a lot of stuff that he doesn't really talk about. And, I mean, I, I don't really know what else people are asking, the ones that are saying, well, you know, they didn't do any of the hard-hitting stuff. It's like, what else is there? Yeah, I don't know what else they're looking for either. I think they just want somebody to come out and say that. Like they they're just looking for something to latch on to, to um Complain. to bring him from this <laughs> idea that that LeBron is better. Like, dude, let it, let it go, people. Let it go, man. Like it 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 kills me. I I used to hate it. Like it was the most annoying time in IBS when people started talking about. It's 2016, uh, right? Uh, either it was like. When I first got in the group, for sure, it was LeBron was better than Jordan, or or Co- or it was Kobe was better than LeBron. Like those, That's crazy. those arguments, man. I'm like, dude, it gets tiring after a while. And I do agree with with people who who come to the assessment that Le- uh, LeBron should be more comparable to Magic mm-hmm. and Kobe should be more comparable to Jordan as far as their styles of play. But at the end of the day, I mean, greats greats are always going to be measured against each other. Unfortunately, so it's just the it's just the burden of being great, man. I mean, if Jordan had social media, I'm pretty sure he would have been getting uh, magic comparisons and Larry comparisons and things like that. So LeBron's going to get he know, would be listening to the backdoor cover, you know, making bets on DraftKings, <laughs> FanDuel, no, you name it. He would, he would be. He would be He'd probably be in debt to some casino. <laughs> God, oh, all right, what a so, terrible gambler. Bad gambler. He needs to listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we learned a lot about, you know, his teammates. I was actually shocked we learned a good bit about his teammates, even from the first three P. Was there anything that you learned about any Bulls player, obviously other than Jordan, that kind of changed your opinion on them, whether it be positive or negatively or, or just something that you didn't realize um i mean <laughs> how big of a punk scott burrell was <laughs> hey dude i guess he wasn't that he was a punk it's just his personality man like like jordan said like you just couldn't get to the dude man even throughout the entire series every time they did a flash uh a flashback and then came back to like 98 or 97 or something like that. When Scott Burrell was on the team, he was always smiling, always laughing, always kind of like just rolling with the punches. I I mean, it's incredible. And, and I think that was the, I mean, I never really considered uh, knowing anything about him, but um, I thought to me, that was the most interesting thing. I've, I've done a lot of research on the bulls uh, and Jordan's career and things like that. So I've read like I've read the Jordan rules and things like that. So I'm not like a lot of this stuff wasn't that shocking to me. Um, I knew Jordan was an asshole. I didn't even need the Jordan <laughs> rules to, to to tell me that. I mean, 
most great athletes are assholes. Right. Man. Yep. Like especially yep. when you're talking about team sport, alpha males. I mean, like like I've I've said all along, like Ali's and Jordans and Mayweather's and Tom Brady's and things like that. When it comes to competing, they're going to be assholes. Like when they're in competition, you mode, saw it from Magic in the dream yeah. team practice. Yeah. I mean, but 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 Magic also Magic also openly admits that he knows how. Like he he knew Jordan was in his shadow to some degree and wanted out. Like he knew how Jordan was as an alpha male, so he poked he poked the uh, pushed the right buttons to to get him uh, to basically uh, take it serious. You know, like because he knew he wanted to win and and he started messing with him. Like if you look, there's a Dream Team documentary where Magic uh, goes into a little bit more detail about how he was systematically talking trash to everybody on the other team, and they came around to Michael because he'd already gotten um, into everybody else's head, and he knew it was pissing Michael off. So he came around to Michael, and he started talking trash to Michael, and then it was at that moment where Michael pretty much was like, nah, bro. All right, like, he just took over the game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there was a couple of things that, like, and again, you got to remember, I was – like 10 years old when they won their first title. So that first three-peat, I was watching, but I didn't really comprehend it. And I just – I forgot because I actually went back and watched some of the games from their first – I mean, honestly, through all their title runs. I forgot how good Horace Grant was and just, like, how important of a cog he was, you know, to the first three-peat. He he basically was Rodman, but he was a better offensive player. Uh, And I had also forgot how successful he was in Orlando until he started – breaking down with injuries the other thing that just you always need to be reminded because I think it kind of gets forgotten because he had the stint with the Knicks that didn't go well is just the genius of Phil Jackson as a coach I mean you see the way he motivated his players got them to buy in I mean even just the you know the last dance packet he handed out that they showed in the first episode and I just love that the greatest player ever celebrating his sixth title is playing the piano and his penthouse suite and he's quoting buddhism that he got from phil jackson with his buddies and i mean that just again shows you how much phil knows how to connect with his players and it led to success in chicago and also la with shaq and kobe phil's a weirdo oh yeah he's a a cool (laughs) kind of weirdo man i mean at the end of the day like if you respect people, man, they're going to respect you. And and you have to earn people's respect. And, and um, I, I guess it would be terrible for me to make this comparison, but <laughs> let's put it this way. In my profession, uh, dealing with different people from different walks of life, not everybody's created equal. Not everybody's got the same story as to how they got to where they are. But the one thing that stays true is that if you, as a facilitator, uh, and a leader can connect with these people from a different walk of life as a as a person, not as your position, but as a human being, they will eventually respect you for that. And then you allow them to to excel as a person like you can once you reach people, they excel. You know, um, Phil was able to reach different players. And, and I mean, people give people dismiss his uh, coaching ability sometimes because of the talent that he's worked with. But even when he didn't have that talent briefly with uh, Jordan being out, he was like, I mean, you heard some of the people say it in the commentary, like the triangle looked the best that it ever looked. The team looked the best that it ever did. And there's nothing against 
uh, a coach if he doesn't have the, the superstar to push him over to a championship. I mean, that's been the name of the NBA since Naismith made the game. Like, right. Like, you have to have a star who transcends good and great to get over the hump. Like, Steph Curry, the, the Warriors, that, that first championship team was a team. But when Steph took the next step to becoming a star, they won championship. You know? Yeah. Um they they became contenders routinely after that. And and that and like if you think about it, without Jordan, the team had no star. Pippen wasn't a star. So if if maybe they had a went two or three more years and Pippen maybe took a next step that everybody claims he had, but we never saw it, then maybe it would have been a different story for Phil's legacy. But ultimately I don't think people should should deduct from his his accomplishments because he coached good teams or because he had two of the best players in the league. Two those two players are extremely difficult personalities to manage. And he managed Dennis Rodman and he managed Shaq. Like these are guys who are traditionally difficult. Shaq and people. Kobe. Yeah. Like <laughs> together. Yeah, to maneuver through that <laughs> and to gain the respect of, of two Two guys like uh, LeBron, I mean LeBron. Two guys like uh, Jordan and uh, Kobe. I think speaks volumes for him as a person. Um, and yeah, I, I think he was definitely a winner in this documentary too. All right, so let, let's move on to something that I don't. I just I don't know what to think after watching. We all know about the infamous flu game from the '97 Finals, uh, or excuse me, it was the '98 Finals. Now they're saying it is not the flu. It was food poisoning. None of this story made sense to me. Do you believe what they said last night about the flu game? Oh, no. I mean, I ain't no expert on it, but yeah, it's <laughs> highly unlikely considering that Jordan was a partier and, and, and not even partier, but I mean, my man was drinking uh, beer and smoking cigars after, after games in in ninety seven and ninety eight, pretty much. So, I don't I don't doubt that he probably got sick. Well, I, I believe he was sick. Drinking. I'm just saying. Yeah, no, it doesn't I'm make any sick, sense like, to me. Drinking, right? Okay, that, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, and I don't even know what it is, but I'm just sitting there thinking you had this story for forever that it was the flu game, right? And that was what most people had heard and thought. And then you come up with a story that to me just makes no sense. Everything down to. How did they know it was Michael Jordan? He had that security team that they showed throughout the whole 10 part series was like family and they were his wall. Where were they at? They had five guys show up to deliver a pizza and didn't think anything was wrong. And then Jordan was the only one in that room when they said there was five or six who ate any of the pizza. It just, to me, it didn't make any sense. And I just don't understand why you would put that out when it doesn't make sense. Because to me, that gets my mind wondering, okay, so what was the real deal? And it leads to like what you said. Was it, you know, was he hung over? Was it, you know, like what was the real deal? Why would you make up a lie about something like that? Because I just do not believe that story at all. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I just, I mean, 
I'm not really taking in, into account the sources of, of Jordan, like, backing Jordan's story either. Like, his trainer was clearly a yes man. So. Oh, yeah. He was crying so, yeah. when he was talking about uh, Jordan just saying he was going to be there to train the day after the season ended. I'm like, <laughs> isn't that what a top athlete in the world should be doing after a loss? No, I mean, you'd be surprised. A lot of these guys do take their vacations, man. So... I'm just saying. Okay, so let's uh, move on to – I think that most people would put the blame on Jerry Krause, or at least that's the way that this documentary was set up for the Bulls not coming back in 99, trying to win you know, the, the seventh title, the fourth in a row. If First of all, do you think Jerry Krause deserves the most blame? And yes. If, <laughs> well, let me. And then, if I'll so, who think who do you think deserves the second most blame for the Bulls not coming back that next season? Hey, look, man, I'm not trying to disrespect the man because he's dead, but dude's dude's a lame man. He's a he's a lot of things I'm not gonna say uh, on the air, but let's just put it this way: at the end of the day, man, these GMs and stuff like they've got to to humble themselves. This is a lesson. To every GM out there who has incredible talent on a team that he's he's in charge of, don't ever forget who's really winning these games, man. Who's really making you the money? Like, who cares if the if the players are getting too much credit? How can the player get too much credit? The player is the one that's out there performing. At the end of the day, they've got a, the execution goes through the players. So how can they be? How like I don't understand that concept that the players get too much credit when it comes to GMs. Now a coach, you might can make that argument for a coach, but a GM, the GM has nothing to do with anything other than getting the players on the team. He doesn't call any plays, he doesn't practice, he doesn't run the practices, conditioning, anything. All he does is manage the money and puts the players on the on the field. You can't – he can't get but so much credit, man. Like, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And then um, the second most blame, honestly, I'm going to say Phil Jackson because if Phil had came back, um, then Jordan would have came back and the team probably would have made it work. But it started with Jerry. It started with Jerry because at the beginning of the season, he told Phil it don't matter if you win 82 games, you're, you're fired. Now, if somebody told me that, I wouldn't want to come back either. <laughs> And then Phil, for what his worth, sounded like one, he was tired, and two, he was because him and Jerry were actually friends to some degree prior to their falling out. But it sounded like he wanted to save face for Jerry because if if the owner told him right what Jerry says, I want you back, then it makes Jerry look bad and and, and it emasculates Jerry, him. Yeah, and, and Jerry was, uh, to, I think, to my knowledge, he was running two rocks. He was doing uh, baseball and basketball. So, I mean, he had a standing with with um, with the owner and then two organizations in Chicago. And then I think just ultimately Phil being who he is as a person didn't want that, didn't want to be a part of that drama and, and just opted to go ahead and, and take advantage of the opportunity and just take a break. And you know I'm a, a big fan of doing outlines for these podcasts that we do. You, you literally had the same two answers I did. I will say, though, that I discussed this with RC previously. He made a very compelling case that the owner, Reinsdorf, is actually the most responsible because who do you think is allowing Krauss to go around and say 
you can go 82 and zero and you're not coming back and go ahead and basically tell Scottie Pippen, we're not going to give you a new contract and tell Steve Kerr, we're not going to give you a new contract and tell Dennis Rodman, this is probably going to be the last year. And, you know, at the end of the day, they're ultimately responsible. And he was actually upset that they kind of, you know, let the owner off the hook all because, you know, when you're at the very last moment, he told Phil Jackson, you know, well, you can come back after all of that when it's like, dude, if you're the owner and you have Michael Jordan and that Bulls team and forget about even for the championship, I can't imagine the money that they were making just in the time when that Bulls team from home ticket, you know, between concessions and obviously the food and beverage. And it just, it was a good point that, you know, the owner is the boss, the buck stops with them. And that all happened under him. And the GM was obviously speaking with his blessing. So at the end of the day, it's kind of the owner's fault. Uh, he, uh, didn't, he didn't seem too hands-on though. I mean, at least it didn't get portrayed like that. Like there was instances where he, he, he was hands-on when it came to Jordan like uh, early on when they first drafted him and he wanted to play and things like that, he seemed pretty hands-on. He seemed more hands-on when it came to contract uh, contract talks, like just signing the paper. Like even with the Jordan thing, like, I mean, the Pippen contract, he he basically told him, like, it was a bad deal. I wouldn't sign it. It doesn't really sound like something the owner would say, you know? Right. Uh, I, don't, I, I guess I would need more clarification on his role in the organization. And I do agree at some point, you you have to um, say like, hey, nothing's going to get done without the owner's approval anyway. But if Jerry really walked in there and told Phil that, I feel like the way Dude was running the team, he didn't think anything of it. And then after they won the championship, you know, he saw like what they could do financially because he seemed like he was more about the money and for the city too. Yeah, um, but it was too late. All right, so there were some really good quotes to come out of this documentary. I'm going to go over just some of my favorites. Uh, I loved Larry Bird talking about Jordan when he scored 63 in the playoff game at the Garden. I think that was his third season. It was just God disguised as MJ. Roy Williams, who I believe this was his only line in the documentary, and it was probably my favorite one, that MJ was the only player who could ever turn it on and off, and he never freaking turned it off. Uh, Jordan DeBird on the last episode after the playoff series in 98 when they beat the Pacers, and he said, you bitch, fuck you. And then uh, Magic and MJ during the infamous Dream Team practice, Magic saying it's just like the NBA, he's getting every call. And the way MJ confidently just kept replying with a simple, it's the 90s, which you could tell kind of got under Magic's skin because he kept saying, what's that mean? And then finally, I forget the security guard's name, but it was the white dude with the long curly hair. He didn't say anything, but his shrug as he beat Jordan in the quarters game was like literally my favorite moment of the entire documentary to think like this guy is a security guard for Michael Jordan and he has the nerve to shrug to him, you know, years after he made it famous against the Blazers in the NBA finals. I just, I mean, that's some big kahunas on a guy. It's just some security dude with basically a curly-haired mullet. So that was impressive. Do you have any favorite quotes you want to go over from the uh, documentary? I mean, the my favorite quote um, is the one um, where he says, um, leadership has a price. And like, oh, yeah. You know, and, and I think that's, that's um, 
I mean, that's the my favorite quote, actually, because it's true. Like, greatness mm-hmm. has a price. Leadership has a price. Like, people don't understand the sacrifice that these, these men make uh, physically, mentally, um, in their lives and everything. Like, it, it comes at a cost. I mean, in the NBA, uh, greatness costs you your hair. If you think about it, everybody goes bald. <laughs> but, um, but, I mean, I thought that was great. Um, and then um, his, like, everything about the quotes from episode seven when he was saying, you know, people are going to say he was a tyrant, but he wanted to win. He wanted those guys to, to uh, win with him. Uh, just kind of shine light on who he was as a, as a person um, and the conflict between the person and the player. Uh, everything else, I mean, the relationship that he had with people outside of basketball, um, I think was cool too. Like his his security team was like his his um release man. They they did a great job of of keeping him grounded, and then also uh, you know, helping him navigate through that that superstardom. I mean, there there's. Called him a, far, a father figure, which yeah. that was really so, cool to, to, to hear about. So there's there's one other thing I wanted to point out, too, about the documentary that stood out to me. So in this this 21st century, the social media age and everything like that, because people have so much access to you, you don't really see Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, Beatles type entourage, like the world has stopped because they're moving type stuff. Like, uh, right. Back then, man, like in the nineties, or, or like those three particular icons. You just wanted a glimpse, right? Yeah, those three <laughs> icons that I mentioned. Like, could you imagine? Like, you literally can't take a step without somebody underneath your feet. LeBron James can come to Richmond right now, and he would have a way to like he'll he'll be able to walk. I mean, matter of fact, he did come to Richmond. Uh, or if he didn't come to Richmond, um, his son and and uh, Dway's son came to Richmond. And played uh, at John Marshall, which is like maybe like 15, 20 minutes from my house. But like, you know, they're like they were allowed to walk around. I've seen other celebrities and things like that. I've seen some A-listers. They're allowed to walk around. There's there's no icons per se anymore. Like maybe Beyonce would be the closest thing to to that kind of like. I know people probably gonna call me crazy, but like a megastar icon that that people fall out for if they see him because. But like social media has given people so much access to to people now that there's there's no there's no comparison really for what those people went through, man. And I just thought it was great of his security team to be able, even though they looked old to me, they were they were respected wherever they went, and he respected them. So I thought that was interesting because because the people that they were joking called I think they called them um, I forgot the nickname they called it was a derogatory nickname, but at the end of the day, they were the only ones that Jordan respected the most. He, uh, it was really interesting too, just to see how the confidence in like everywhere Jordan went with the people surrounding him. You know, I was just talking about the security guard to give the shrug. It's just like when he was, you know, playing the piano in the, in the hotel room after the, the sixth championship, everybody's just dying laughing and on the edge of the seat for a guy who can't even play the piano. And it's like, that's how cool and big Michael Jordan was. And it's just, it, you're right. The world has changed so much. That it's, I don't think we'll ever get to a point, you know, like that. And that's no knock about anybody that comes behind them. 
And it's why I've always said I think the only athlete since Jordan that has even come close to the Jordan Ollie type, you know, stratosphere is Tiger, who we'll talk about uh, here before we get off this podcast. But before we finish up the last dance stuff, was there anything you learned about Jordan or, you know, it changed your opinion about him in any way? No. <laughs> Nothing. I'm surprised they didn't even talk about how he cheated on his wife and all that other nonsense. No, man. Uh, I wish they had a clarified that Jordan doesn't contribute to the in, uh, industrial prison system. <laughs> <laughs> but no, man, like nothing. The whole quote about Republicans buy sneakers too, even if he really did say that, that still doesn't surprise me, man. Like all that stuff is is at least rumored. So no. All right, so there was a few things that I'm not going to lie, I forgot about. Again, I told you I was 10 years old when they won their first title. I forgot, like, how unstoppable Michael Jordan was from that 91 to 93 period where he was still probably the most athletic, like, dude in the league, but he also had started to figure it out. Not to the level that he did in 96, 98, where I feel like, his mind was probably at least 50% of his skill, just like his actual athletic prowess. But, I mean, he just – it was unbelievable seeing – I think it was episodes like three, four, and five when they went over that first three-peat. Just, I just forgot how he could go to the rim at will. Because, again, it's been, you know, 20, 25 years since we've seen those highlights. So, it was really good to see that and be reminded of it. Uh, and then I loved, again, the reason for him being the way he was is that, you know, he had to fail, fall down, and it, and it follows his entire storyline. This is the same thing that I was hearing about in high school was that, you know, Michael Jordan didn't make his varsity team as a junior, and then he became Michael Jordan. And then you think about what he went through with, you know, first being injured, almost missing a season, and then getting a little bit further in the playoffs and then running into the same team and being beat three years in a row to win three championships. You come back, then you lose again. Uh, and then to come back and win three, you know, more, it was just, it was amazing. Uh, the last thing I just kind of want to talk about because they brought it up and this is the first time I've heard Jordan explicitly say this, that he wanted to come back for that, next year in 99 what do you think it would have taken like you think that if just phil would have came back he would have come back and do you think that they had a legit chance to win the title that year because that was that lockout season i mean uh if phil if phil comes back and jordan comes back i i wouldn't doubt everybody would give it another go for one more year i mean you have a chance to to really make history um as far as if they could have made it work I mean, I, I feel like common sense is telling me no. For the simple fact, guys were already falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he had to look, but Pippen didn't even really contribute in that last game. He was hurt. You know, his back yeah, was bad. His back was bad. Um, he had already started um, the season, um, you know, with the whole ankle stuff going on. I mean, Robin 
Robin probably would have been super out of shape. I think he was pretty much at that time ready to just. Play. Yeah, he he only played like I think thirty games after that season. Yeah, so I think he was on his way out mentally. Um, but like the the like other, I mean, Kerr went to the went to the Spurs the next season and won the yep. championship, um, and, and contributed off the bench. So it's it's safe to say I think Kukoc would have needed a bigger role. Um, with Pippen being like as beat up as he was, but they would have had a chance as long as Jordan and that core is still on the floor. They're always going to have a chance, but um, that would have been legit the last dance <laughs> after ninety right after ninety nine <laughs> after the ninety nine season. Heck, God, man, them dudes is old, man. You can cheat. You can cheat. Uh, you can cheat Father Time maybe once, maybe once because of the lock. Uh, the lock lockout season but nah not after that because I, I i believe that you're right that if jackson would have just said he was coming back if they could just get jordan some legitimate help for pippen i still think jordan would have tried to come back and played and i think it was the best thing for his legacy possible that he won three straight championships and retired twice and I've heard a lot of people say, well, it was a lockout season. It was only 50 games. That sets up better for Michael, you know, being 37 years of age. No, it doesn't. It's like that, that if I remember correctly, that shortened season had more back-to-back nights and goofy, you know, four games and seven nights and, and just all kinds of crazy scheduling, you know, situations. And as you said, these teams break down. Look what happened to the Warriors. Look what happened to the Heat at the end of going to four straight finals. Look what happened to the Lakers when they went to four out of five finals. I mean, it happens to everybody. It happened to the Bulls, as you said, at the end of this to where, I mean, they were really worse aware. Jordan barely looked like he could stand at the end of that 98 finals. We know about Pippen's back. Rodman was getting older. So I, I don't think they could have came back and won but I'm like you that if you're telling me you got Phil Jackson and Michael Jordan they obviously got a shot yeah so uh any other things you want to say on that before we do a little backdoor cover plug um nope I mean I think we covered everything uh it was a solid documentary uh I guess I could say the one thing I was saying before um I would like to just see people just ultimately just cut the whole goat talk out, man. And and the reason for that being is that the eras of basketball are so different, man. So different. I think we all can agree athletes are better by and large nowadays. Modern medicine helps with that. Um, but you, it's really hard to compare the, the rules and the game to today to how magic played how jordan played things like that i mean just off of watching some of the the replays of the 80s and and early 90s like some of the things that they were going through as far as fouls um and and i think the biggest thing to me that stands out is how slow the pace of play was i mean you got guys winning playoff games like 74 78 and people like oh, the Jazz scored fifty six points well, that in that ninety eight well, final. I couldn't terrible, believe that. that. Oh my god, that was a terrible shooting Whew. night, though. I actually remember that game. They just—it was a combination of teams score that in a quarter in the NBA now. Yeah, but it was a combination of excellent shooting <laughs> and awful, awful. Uh, I mean, excellent defense and awful shooting. But um, I was going to say a lot of that has to do with 
with every, like the the game's just faster now. It's played at a faster pace, mm-hmm. and um, I I think um, people look at box scores and they get they they form opinions on it. Like I, I saw somebody, uh, actually the Warriors went through this a lot when they were when they were at their peak of of uh, small ball, and people were saying the Warriors didn't play defense because they're giving up a hundred and seven points a game. I'm like, yeah, but they're also playing at a, at a faster pace than anybody, and they're scoring a hundred and twenty a game. So it's like it's not that they're not playing defense; people just get more opportunities. Like if you look at their efficiency. Uh, their efficiency statistics are, are some of the best in the league. Actually, uh, some points in their in their early seasons when they were when they were at their peak of small ball, they were one of the most efficient, like defensively efficient teams uh, going around. So I think a lot of people need to realize it's not the same game that Jordan played. It's not the same game. So you can't say, "Oh, LeBron wouldn't do this. LeBron wouldn't do that." It's kind of hard to say what LeBron would do because he would have had to make adjustments to play in that in that era. Same with um, with uh, Jordan if he played in this era. He would have had to make adjustments. Guys would be more athletic. But one thing transcends, and that's greatness. So they're all going to be great no matter what era they play in. It's just really difficult to determine who's the greatest of all time or something like that for, for team sports where competitive edges have been given to uh, to the later generation. So Jordan got expansion. Uh, Kobe and them uh, got to play with no hand checking. Uh, a flagrant one now would, would have been a common foul back in the day. People are going to the foul line 14 to, to 18 times a game sometimes. You never got that back in the day. So, no, nah, it's really hard. To, I just That's what I want to – that's my rant. I just wanted to stop. <laughs> Uh, and I, I agree with you because, I mean, Jordan shot 42% from three. You think he wouldn't be shooting a lot more threes in today's NBA? I mean, he was averaging, I think they said, less than one a game for his career. Uh, and, I mean, one other guy real quick, because you talked about the Pistons earlier, and I meant to, to bring this up. I really respect Isaiah Thomas for coming on the documentary knowing that, you know, it was like going on a road game. He knew he was going to get hammered. He knew what the topic was going to be about. And he still said what he's always said, pleaded his case. And, you know, you talk about, you know, people downplaying or, you know, guys from the past. I feel like Isaiah Thomas is one of those guys. Michael Jordan said he's the second best point guard he's ever seen. And I've heard a lot of people in the group saying, you know, Isaiah only scored, you know, what, 23 and – and nine or eight or whatever. And it's like Isaiah was one of those guys that he did what he had to for the team to win. Isaiah could have scored a lot more. So, again, you can't just look at numbers. You can't just look at a stat sheet kind of make your point. You just got to look at, you know, to me, a lot to do with winning, what they got out of their teammates. Did they do more than their athletic ability should have, uh, you know, allowed them to or less than. Uh, But – Anyways, any other things you want to get on that before I want to talk about the match with Tiger and Phil before we get out of here? Bugsy, but that's it. No, oh, I don't know. Is is it cool for Saltines to call him Zeke? What? Well, I, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I was, that's how I know him. Zeke. I, said, I, I sometimes I use his government, but for the most part, it's Zeke to me. But nah, forget that chump, man. He deserves everything he gets. All right. <laughs> Uh, before we get out of here, we do a podcast called The Backdoor Cover. It is a gambling podcast. It's on the IB Sports podcast feed. Unfortunately, we have not been doing very many podcasts lately because other than 
the occasional NFL stuff. We did one a couple of weeks ago on the week one lines and the division odds. Uh, there's not been a lot of sports, but before Corona kind of changed the world, we had given the winner, was it in four or five straight golf tournaments? It was four. Okay, and four straight tournaments had some amazing props in there. The smallest odds on one of those four winners was 33 to one. So we was hot. Uh, this uh, next weekend, because this the, the thing they had this weekend, I didn't even bring it up to you because I wasn't even interested in that, and I'm a golf fan. I'm interested in the thing this weekend. We're having the match 2.0. I love the tweak that they made. It's going to be Tiger and Phil, but they're going to give them the two best quarterbacks in the last few decades. You got Tiger's playing with Peyton, Phil with Brady. The match uh, is going to be at Medalist Golf Club. It's a position golf course for my man, Allen. It's, it's kind of it's a Ross course, so it's going to be sort of similar to like a sawgrass-type course. Uh, this is actually Tiger's Club. Uh, the bat tees are 7,500 yards, which I heard Phil and Tiger are going to play from. Brady and Manning are going to play a forward tee. I don't know if it's going to be like one up or two up. I, I don't think they're going to try to embarrass those guys, so probably a few tees up. And then they're going to play best ball on the front nine where each guy – We'll play their own ball. Brady and Manning will each be getting three shots on the front. And then on the back nine, they do a modified alternate shot, which for y'all that don't know, that means both guys will tee off. Then whoever's drive you take. So if it's Tiger and Peyton hit a drive, if they end up taking Tiger's drive, Peyton will hit second and they alternate shots the rest of the way in. If they take Peyton drive, Tiger hits so and so on. So there's a few props and, and bets I wanted to go over with you. You got Tiger and Peyton to win at minus 200, Phil and Brady at plus 175. I want to tell you right now, Alan, that Tiger and Peyton at minus 200 is an absolute L-O-C-K. And you know I hate bad odds, and I know minus 200 is not good odds, but there is no way in hell that Tiger Woods is going to lose two matches in a row to Phil Mickelson, especially when it's at his golf course. It's a golf course that you have to drive the ball relatively straight which we know phil mickelson can't do and on top of that tiger woods and michael jordan are really good friends if you don't think tiger woods has got pretty jacked up at seeing this jordan documentary that's been on for the last five weeks and he wants to go out on live tv in front of millions of people and get beat by phil mickelson again you're crazy not to mention peyton manning is the better golfer his handicap is three shots lower he actually plays golf because he's retired and I just – I can't see any way that Tiger and Manning don't win at minus 200. Is that crazy for me? No, I, I mean, I actually saw Peyton Manning play uh, in the um, – was it Pebble Beach? The Pro-Am? Yep, yeah. He, yep. He's not actually – he's actually not that bad. And, I mean, no, he's golf a good player. Is, a, is a thinking game. I don't think anybody is, is, is as cerebral of a, of a football player as um, – is uh, Peyton Manning, and you know it's funny. Somebody's probably listening to that and saying like, oh, "It doesn't really matter." Larry Larry Fitzgerald is very cerebral, and he's really good at golf too. Um, it's I don't know. It's just it's a mental yeah, game. I, I don't, it really I don't is. Know what it is, but I think I mean Larry Larry owns pro am um, events all the time. I'm pretty sure he's he's won back to back, I think, or something like that. Either way, he's he's usually up there. So I, when I saw those odds, I was just like, "Well, I mean." Peyton to me is it's a whole lot better than Tom Brady, but Tom Brady's super competitive, so I wouldn't doubt like if anybody could find a way to to up their game, it would be him. But I'm with you, 
I don't think Tiger Tiger ain't gonna let this jump ride twice. I mean, he. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. It's his home course. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Not No way. Especially this is live TV. You ain't got to pay for this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a there's a prop out there. The first team to go one up, Tiger and Peyton are minus 125. Phil and Brady are plus 105. If you're big on the Tiger and Peyton, which of those is the smarter bet? You're, you're the guy that's good about odds and stuff. Is it better to hedge and maybe take Phil and Brady, put a little money on that? Or if you're confident, you also take the – the Tiger and Peyton there, even though it's another minus number. Um, I mean, it's because of the, the format, it's going to be a little tricky. Um, I would just, like, when you have situations like this where you don't really have a lot to go off of other than Tiger and Phil, I just go with my gut. And, and my gut tells me that Tiger's going to ball out. Um, what's the weather going to be like, though? That's the big indicator. If it's cold, you know your boy can't play in the cold. It's it's gonna it's Florida, man. It's gonna be nice. I'm not. Don't they got about they, it. they had rain and stuff come through. You sure the temperature ain't drop? Don't scare me, man. I just said it was a L O C K. Don't be yeah, doing. I'm just thing. I'm just saying, like those, those are very. <laughs> no, you're right. I know you're scaring me. You man. gotta take it. You're scaring me live. If live right if it's, now. If it's uh, windy as if it's windy <laughs> as well, it also favors Tiger because his ball striking is better. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm gonna. If you like I said, if you if you feel like I feel strongly that Tiger and Peyton are gonna win, so I would go with my gut and just take the Tiger and Peyton line. I mean, you're eating chalk either way. Um, in, a, in an event like this, like I said, there's too many variables and the format's a little funky. So either way you go, you're gonna eat chalk, uh, one way or another. So this is the bet that I love the most too. If one team wins three holes in a row, so they have to win three consecutive holes, yes, plus 475, no, minus 650. I love those odds for yes, plus 475. The reason being, Peyton and Brady are professional athletes. They are not professional golfers. They are going to be playing in front of millions of people with two golfers that I promise you, if they really love golf, they idolize them in some way. They are going to be nervous. And there is a chance in that modified alternate shot where you are responsible, like wherever you hit the ball, the guy playing with you has to go hit it from there. It could get ugly. Not to mention, I told you, I really like Tiger and Peyton. Any way to win, if I'm getting plus 475 odds, and I know no is minus 650, so that shows you how they're thinking that there's no chance. I actually think with the format on the back, there's a very good chance that either team could end up winning three holes in a row if either Brady or Manning start falling apart or choking, which anybody that plays golf can tell you, you can hit the balls on the range all day. But it's just something about when your nerves get to you or your mind gets in the wrong place on a golf course, it is a nightmare and it can go bad fast. Yeah, I, I feel like I'll be highly disappointed if either one of these dudes gets nervous about a, a charity golf event, even if they I promise you I mean, it I'm will sure happen. Will, just and that, for the sheer fact that that you're, I mean, you're playing next to like some of the best at the, yeah. icons, yeah. But in the, in the same breath, Emmett, you're an icon, man. Chill. I agree, like, but it's you, it's, you just, share, I, it's share, something about you share right. The stage is some of the biggest games of football ever. You 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 should be able to to handle a, a charity golf event, man. Even though Tiger Woods is probably gonna give you shit, and I know Phil's giving you shit, but Tiger Woods is gonna give you shit for messing up his shot, but um. I, I think at four to one, that's that's kind of like generous. I mean, I, I mean, 
basically five yeah, to one plus like, four seventy five. Like they're uh, they're trying to entice people to to think that it's going to be competitive. I mean, all things considered, if I'm looking for value. If I'm looking for value, that's probably a value play. Just 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 to see if I can get something out of that. I mean, we we took some shots like that on Super Bowl props, like you know, mines that were you know we're just we're just taking a shot just to see if we can get something out of it. Because at, at four to one, um, the the risk reward is is low risk, high reward. So I'm perfectly fine with somebody putting like twenty thirty bucks on that. All right, and so we are going to start doing backdoor cover as soon as we get. Some of these sports oh, yeah, wrong, sure. which is hopefully soon. For right. sure, I don't, I don't um, give out horse bets uh, early because, well, anything can happen. So if you want, if you want yeah. to get involved with that, I mean, it's five to ten dollars a, a horse, depending on the odds, man. I mean, I'm not telling people to put anything crazy on anything until I get to the um, PGA Tour. Well, yeah, well, the, well, the, um, <laughs> as far as the horse racing goes, though, like the Triple Crown events. I, I lay a hundred dollars on a horse in a in a Kentucky Derby or something like that, but not not at these tracks, man. Like you just just ten to fifteen dollars here and there. Um, I had a great day on Saturday, gave back a little on Sunday, but I'm, I'm also giving out soccer bets uh, for the um, German league. What about NASCAR? You I have NASCAR? not done a NASCAR race, but the the joke on. The, my dad will teach you. Well, the you. joke on that is, is <laughs> that I, I was going to bet NASCAR uh, because when Corona was systematically shutting everything down, NASCAR was the last thing open. And I, and I jokingly yeah. said, hey, I guess I'm going to bet NASCAR. And they shut NASCAR <laughs> down. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant. Man. I, I feel like that was bad luck. So I'm um, sticking to my German soccer. Um, things are gradually opening up more. Um, you know, if you're looking for – for gambling options, you can you can wean yourself off of simulation 2K and, and Madden. But you can bet <laughs> Korean baseball, which I, I hear is lovely. I don't bet it, but I hear it's lovely. Um, like I said, German soccer starting up. Uh, I'm not that desperate yeah. yet, man. Not for yeah, Korean I mean, baseball. I'm sorry. I took my desperation <laughs> to the horse tracks here. And, and it's been kind of fun. So um, if, if you are not an all-star member, you know, it's $5. To join um but again i i will post weekend horse racing and uh and uh soccer matches and then when we do start back with our golf podcast um we're gonna uh, discuss a little on on how to to bring in more listeners and, and maybe make that premium content i mean people out here getting some pretty good money off of that they're really good money uh, off of that last month before everything got shut down. You got anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I did just plug it. <laughs> All right, awesome. Uh, the only other thing I want to plug is the Team Turnbuckle podcast. That is also on the Ivy Sports podcast feed. Me and my main man, Ron L. Tinsley, are doing two podcasts a week. The last one that we published, I believe it was Saturday, was the AEW NXT edition. We will be recording the Raw and SmackDown edition tomorrow. So, again, what we said earlier, uh, you know, please uh, be sure that you follow the Ivy Sports podcast feed. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe. And we'd also love it if you'd rate and review. You can follow Ivy Sports on Twitter. 
uh, Instagram. We had the Facebook group that just had 4,000 members. Alan just told you about the uh, premium membership. But for Keith Fleming, Actively Lazy, a.k.a. Alan, the guys from the backdoor cover, this has been the uh, documentary of uh, Michael Jordan, The Last Dance.